Okay, I want to go on to Dr. Hennington's case. Yeah. So this was a 42-year-old premenopausal female who had a 2.1 centimeter poorly differentiated intraductal carcinoma. It was ER positive, PR negative, HER2 negative. She had a lumpectomy, axillary lymph node dissection. She had four out of 12 positive lymph nodes. She was treated with AC times four, taxotere times four, and XRT, and then was put on tamoxifen for five years. She was off tamoxifen for three years, and her oncologist got sick at the time, and I started taking care of her. And the question, now she was postmenopausal. She had been postmenopausal since her chemotherapy, so for about eight years. And the question was whether she would benefit from an AI at this point after a three-year break after tamoxifen. Now she was diagnosed at age 34. Now she's age 42. She stopped having her periods, Eric, with chemotherapy. It's been eight years since so she had vasomotor symptoms and mm-hmm. menopausal symptoms. Yep. Do you have blood work on her? Yeah, and her hormone levels were postmenopausal. So now we have a lady, Eric, who's three years post-tamoxifen, four positive nodes. She's been carried along in somebody else's practice, gets switches into your practice, and you take a look at her chart and go, hmm, how about an AI? Yeah, so there isn't a simple yes or no here. What you need to think about are really two issues. One is, what is her residual risk of having a recurrence of breast cancer? And two, what's the benefit of the therapy? As a woman who had an ER-positive multi-node breast cancer, she still does have some amount of residual risk. We know that in women with ER-positive breast cancer who take five years of tamoxifen, that of all recurrences, more than half occur after five years. Now, she's eight years out, but of all women like this, probably about a third of them are going to have recurrences after eight years. So I'm going to estimate that she probably has about a 2% risk per year 2 to 3% risk per year over the next five years of having a recurrence. So there's still some risk. What figure would you have given her at five years? I've heard 4% a year. Do you buy into that? Well, you know, I'm trying to factor right in now she's three years down. both time and her initial nodal status. Clearly, nodal status predicts more for early recurrence than late recurrence, but it actually predicts for late recurrence as well because that was very clearly seen in Paul Goss's MA17 trial. Women with node-positive breast cancer at diagnosis had a higher event rate in years 5 to 10 than women with no negative breast cancer. So anyway, I'm guessing 2 to 3%. Maybe even it's a little bit higher than that. Then the question is the benefit. And here, of course, we don't have any really clean data. The data we have are from the experience in MA17 where after the study was unblinded, letrozole was offered to women who had been on the placebo arm of MA17. And so this is not a randomized experiment. They compared those women who chose to take letrozole versus those women who didn't choose to take letrozole. They suggested in their analysis that those women who chose to take letrozole, if anything, had a higher risk of recurrence. They had a greater burden of disease initially. They were younger, what have you, than the women who didn't take letrozole. And in spite of that those women were still at lower risk of recurrence as a result of taking letrozole. And I think it really suggested that a delay still led to benefit, or that after a delay there was still benefit with the AI. And that had been seen with tamoxifen many years ago, I think. That's been seen with tamoxifen. Actually, the experience with tamoxifen, I think it wasn't done even as well as the MA17 experience, although it was a randomized trial, but a small randomized trial. So I would offer it to her, and I have to say that I'd probably gently encourage her to do it. 
if you changed the story and you made it a 2.1 centimeter node negative cancer and she's out now eight years, I probably would mention it but wouldn't push it all. Lisa, how would you think this through? And would you offer a trial randomized between the AI and not? I agree with much of what Eric just said. I think her risk in being such a young woman at diagnosis and having four involved lymph nodes puts her at higher risk for early relapse, but being a hormone receptor positive tumor, she has a persistent risk that can go on for some time. And I think I was surprised by the MA17 data to the extent that it had such a benefit in such a selected population in which you would expect, if anything, the biases would have argued against a benefit. That said, it wasn't a randomized trial, and so it doesn't directly address the question. I would be very supportive of one. This particular patient, I would offer it to her. I would discuss it with her. I don't know whether I would gently move her one way or the other. I think it would depend in part on her own stance, because I don't know that we have data to say that this would necessarily benefit her. In a 42-year-old woman, most of them would like to be aggressive with their disease, and I would be very supportive about trying one. Eric, one of the most common questions we get is the issue of the long-term therapy of the woman who starts out premenopausal and stops out, just like this lady, stops having her periods on chemotherapy, looking at blood work. It's really something that concerns people. At what point do you think about an AI? They're menopausal, their blood work is menopausal, they're on tamoxifen, so it makes it more complicated. Do you switch them at two years? Do you wait five years? We're talking about giving a 42-year-old woman a postmenopausal therapy purely based on having gotten chemo. Are you comfortable with that? So here, she's now eight years out and has been certainly off chemotherapy a long time and is now off tamoxifen and hasn't cycled in several years. So I don't think that her ovarian function is going to return. I think the more difficult situation is the woman who has stopped cycling with chemotherapy is on tamoxifen. And we know that to some extent tamoxifen does suppress ovarian function, certainly suppresses having menstrual cycles. And I personally think that the safest approach in a woman who is premenopausal at presentation and has ER-positive breast cancer is to treat her with five years of tamoxifen. And we have seen multiple times women whose cycles begin again when you switch over to the AI. And beyond that, we actually don't have any data from randomized trials that switching in less than five years in a woman who was premenopausal to begin with is a better therapy. What about the older patient in their late 40s, even early 50s? Does it change the way you look at it? (sighs) A little. So in the younger patient, I'm that much more worried that she's either going to start to cycle again or maybe even more dangerous, that she's not going to start to cycle again, but that she's going to have premenopausal levels of estrogen without cycling that may eliminate the benefit from the AI that you're giving her in place of tamoxifen. For the older woman, or for that matter, for the woman who is premenopausal and has had her ovaries removed, you're worried less about regaining ovarian function. On the other hand, there is the very practical issue that all of the switching studies were done in women who were postmenopausal at the time of diagnosis. So you just should know that there's nothing wrong in a woman who is premenopausal at diagnosis, nothing wrong with continuing tamoxifen for five years and then using the AI at year five. Carl, can you follow up with what happened with the patient? 
actually called Kevin Fox, and he also talked about the crossover data of MA17 and suggested to suggest to her to go on the aromatase inhibitor. And she was very eager to go on it herself. And so I put her on Femora, and she's done great. So the one other thing is, you know, this is a situation where, to some extent, you can say, try it and see if you like it. Exactly. You know, so that if, in fact, she's someone who has a lot of toxicity, right. you know, she comes in three months later and says, I felt 42 before, and now I feel like I'm 62. I can barely get out of bed in the morning because my joints are so achy. You may not push it that much. Exactly. And how long has she been on it right now? About a year. Any problems? No. Aches and pains? No. Interesting. Lisa, what about the issue? Now we're talking about not just five years of therapy, 10, you know, maybe even 15 years of therapy, the issue of adherence to long-term hormonal therapy. And I'll ask Eric, his group's done a lot of the work suggesting maybe the adherence is not anywhere near what we think it is. How much of an issue is it? And any clinical cues you have to try to sort of assess what's going on with patients as they go five, 10 years on therapy? What data from Eric's group and others suggests is that this is a bigger problem than we recognize. Like a lot of problems, I think unless we ask directly, we oftentimes don't find out about these sorts of things. And I think with oral therapy, it looks like, particularly adherence to endocrine agents, over time, the adherence to tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors is likely to fall off. And with tamoxifen, that particularly is the case in the fourth to fifth year, I do have some concerns that as we move into the area of more than five years of treatment, that we're going to see a lot more noncompliance, and so our efficacy is going to be affected by something that we're not measuring. What isn't clear is how do we improve that? I think we can improve it in part by learning to ask so that we actually collect the data, and then if the patient will tell you that they're being non-adherent to the regimen, then you can suss out why they're being non-adherent. Sometimes it's from toxicity that is ameliorable. Sometimes it's because they're concerned. I had a patient who came off of her tamoxifen and did not tell me because she had had a horseback riding incident, had broken her arm, and the orthopedic resident had told her that the tamoxifen was making her bones weak. That was something that we could fix. She and I had a conversation. But if you don't ask and you don't find out, then you can't address these issues. How do you ask? Because I think maybe the way you ask it might affect the answer you get. Well, I actually ask in a slightly different way than many people. I assume that they're not taking their drugs, and I ask them how many times in the last week they missed their dose. I actually think it's a particularly effective way of asking. I heard this for the first time this morning, and I was struck that this is something that I should adopt in my practice. It actually gives people permission to say, well, in the last week or in the last month, I probably haven't taken it five times. Right. I think it's good. What do you usually hear when you ask that question? Surprisingly, most of them admit to having missed at least one dose in the past week. I'm just kind of curious, in this lady over this past year, have you ever asked her if she's taken her medicines? No, no but that's mm -hmm. a great idea. Meanwhile, my patients seem to call me up when they travel and they're afraid they're going to miss one dose, you know, four <laughs> years out. 